You're listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast, episode 13. Today on the show, we're talking about things that theater people wish HEMA practitioners knew about stage combat, and things HEMA folks wish stage combatants understood about historical fighting. Notice I say we are talking about this because I'm joined today by Alan Johnson, HEMAist, violence designer, stunt performer, and produced screenwriter who lends his unique perspective to the conversation. We'll also talk about the time and place for the Hollywood style, how historical techniques may have to change to look right on camera, and more. So, out swords and to work with all. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast. Now here's the mad scientist himself, David Barefoot. Greetings, David here. Thanks for tuning in. If you're just joining the podcast, welcome. I started this project to share with you some of my 25-plus years of experience designing fights and violence for live theater. I'm here to encourage you to enter the world of stage combat, to coach you towards choreographing better fights, and to train you to tackle the artistic and practical challenges of theatrical violence design. This episode is another of my Hold the Beer interviews, where I talk with people from around the world who are combining historical fighting techniques with theatrical stage combat. Because those naysayers who say it can't be done should hold the beer of those people who are already doing it. Today, it's the age-old debate, or at least the decade-old debate. How do historical fighting techniques and stage combat come together? I had the pleasure of diving into this topic with my friend Alan Johnson, way over on the right-hand coast in South Carolina. Alan is the film counterpart to my staginess, if you will. He's a stunt performer, a produced screenwriter, fight choreographer, and HEMA practitioner, and he's got a great take on historical violence for the entertainment industry. So let's jump right in. Okay. All right. We are live. Hey, Alan. Hey, how you doing? Great. Doing well. Give us a little background about yourself and your involvement in theater and your involvement in HEMA, if you would. I kind of ran these uh, tracks parallel in both my education and then hobby and interest and then professionally. Um, at the same time that I was going to school, first to get an associate's degree in theater and then a bachelor's degree in film, I was also competing in sport fencing. And then from there, I started doing more research and I discovered the, the treatises at this point and started getting involved with other groups and organizations that train in historical fencing. And I never looked back from that point. I, I left my uh, sport fencing roots behind me and moved on to, to historical fencing. At the same time that I was doing that, I was getting involved first as acting. And then as I continued on in my education, I found out my real passion was for screenwriting. And so that became my, my emphasis in school as I went on and and eventually, I became fortunate enough to sell a couple screenplays. I've had some films produced as a writer. And I've continued to to train in Western martial arts back before it was branded HEMA. <laughs> and, uh, and continue to be as active as I can, given work and family and all those wonderful things that get away and, uh, and add variety to the things that we enjoy. I always love to talk to people that have a foot in historical fighting as well as theater because that's sort of been my, my crusade for a few years and why I started the, uh, the podcast. So the thing that I've noticed is stage combat people and Western martial arts or HEMA people, they, they tend to be vampires and werewolves, as I say. They, they are yes. each in their own world, and they don't seem to have a lot of cross-pollination, except for a few people doing it here and there. Do you think there are things that 
theater people wish HEMA people knew about the stage combat world? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that um, one of the biggest misgivings present in the HEMA community as a whole in regards to performers is that they disrespect the craft. They think mm-hmm. it's simple. There is absolutely nothing simple about getting in front of a camera or getting on stage and performing, especially if you're carrying a film or carrying a show. That is really, really hard work. It is exceptionally difficult. And because of the money that's involved, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's so insanely difficult to do and to do well. You really cheapen the craft by thinking, oh, we'll just take our good fighters, teach them a little bit of acting, and throw them out on the camera, and it'll be amazing. That is just a fantasy. Going back the other way, are there things that HEMA people wish that stage combat folks knew about historical sword fighting? Absolutely. As, as HEMA practitioners, we have this wonderful thing that we're passionate about. We see these treatises and we see how it works in our drills and our sparring and in our, sometimes in our tournaments as well. And we want to see how this stuff would look in its historical setting. It's a different flavor and we would love to see that on screen. We know it would work because we see how it works in our own practice. I think they want to say, give us a chance. Give this a chance to flourish Allow yourself to entertain the thought that there's another way to do things. However, you've got to make sure that you don't get into the habit of, you're doing it wrong, I'm going to show you how to do it right. That's not the right attitude, and that's where we start to see people butting heads. And then once that happens, both sides turn each other away and, and no progress gets made. Do you think there is a place for, for lack of a better term, the Hollywood style, the current default or mainstream stage combat sword fighting that we see on stage? Do you think there is a place for that if historical sword fighting does begin to make an appearance on stage in film? You know, variety is a wonderful thing, especially in the arts. Can you imagine any kind of discussion that would center around the argument that impressionism is the only way people should paint? Or to bring it back towards performers, we are only going to teach uh, Stanislavski's approach to acting. It's method acting or nothing. Of course not. We would never do that. We're, we're encouraged to explore new avenues. There's a variety of ways to approach things, and the arts are all about exploring and adapting, breaking boundaries. So to completely dismiss a new evolution in your specific craft because, well, this is how we've always done it, is about anti-arts as it can get. That being said, I absolutely do not think that historical fighting is an end-all answer. I don't think or feel that it should replace what already exists, but that it should augment or be another legitimate approach to how things are done. So to outright say that we're trying to do away with the old things that have been done and completely dissolve and forget all the old ways that Hollywood has done it is just as ignorant as someone who would say that anything historically based is worthless because that's how you know, we've always done. It's still anti-art to say we are going to replace everything that you've done with our new perspective, and that's going to take over. It, the arts isn't about that. Yeah, and I love that augmenting rather than replacing. Well, how do you think adding or augmenting historical styles, what does that open up as a screenwriter for you? How does historical sword fighting affect the stories that we might see? Well, that's a, that's a good approach because 
We all agree that in dramatic stories, the fight is an expression of nonverbal dialogue. We hear that expression a lot. So when you're writing a script, the, the tone of the story dictates the words that you use. If you're writing a, a lighthearted family comedy, you aren't going to write in a Tarantino-style tone. Because it doesn't <laughs> fit. So because of the, the brutal nature of real historic sword fighting, that tone will not be appropriate for all productions. Nobody wants to see Danny Kaye and the court jester fight in a realistic fashion. It doesn't work. Right. Um, in the film Stardust, we have an absolutely brilliant and hysterical duel scene featuring a dead guy's body being controlled through a witch. You know, the fight itself is just supremely fantastic and a great credit to uh, the fight choreographer, uh, Richard Ryan, along with his rest of the team. But again, in that situation, being quote unquote realistic does not work. Right. I think that the Hollywood swashbuckling is a great style and it's a fun style. I do a pirate festival and I believe the source material is pretty much the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. There, there's nothing directly historical about it. And yeah, I'm just swinging swords in true Errol Flynn, you know, Patty Crane style uh, yes. with no historical. I'm certainly not trying to, you know, recreate British naval cutlass treatises or anything like that. Sure. Now, because it's a fantasy, you know, and, and, and that's it. The, the tone of the story and the genre and the type of story that's being created will dictate how that's done. You know, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be treated to a, a new rendition of the King Arthur legend through the eyes of Guy Ritchie. And, and given what we've seen in the trailers and previously from Guy Ritchie, I'm not expecting much in the way of historical accuracy in these fight scenes. Mm. You know, they've made it very clear that they're going all in with the, the magic and the wizards and the monsters and things like that. But what I do expect to see is a very highly stylized, gritty violence that's shown in a new and exciting way. That's what Guy Ritchie does. So to contrast his style to do this sharp, uh, stark shift in tone to a strictly realistic sword fight would be unfitting for that production. I agree. I agree. How do you respond to the complaint or objection that the average Joe or Jane audience member isn't going to understand what they're seeing, that they're not going to get the complexity and the nuance, or they're not going to know what's going on if they see fights that are more historically accurate? When I hear that complaint or that, that argument... My response is, so? So what? And I don't, I don't say that to being glib, but we constantly praise films and shows and productions that have levels of mystery, complexity, subtext, um, nuance. We love these. We, we heap awards upon productions that are intelligent. Why is it that when it comes down to violence, we want to water it down and dumb it down to the lowest common denominator. Why can't we allow our fights to be as intelligent and as nuanced as the scripts that surround them? You, you take your average Joe or Jane viewer and you stick them down in front of, uh, you know, The Godfather, Chinatown, some of these really classic scripts. They're probably not going to get all of the nuance and the subtleties contained in those stories. But they're still great movies. They're still great productions. I don't understand why that level of intelligence 
can't be used in the way that we choreograph violence. Yes, they might not get all the subtleties. They might not get all the, the ins and outs of how, you know, uh, fencing is actually done. But if you have good performers and a good story, especially built around it, it's not going to matter because it's still going to be great. So it comes back to story as always. Always uh, comes back to story. Yep. Always comes back to story. Little shift here. There, right now, mainstream stage combat has a, a system of fighting that is, I don't want to say the same across weapons, but it is very similar. Their parries, their cuts, thrusts, their targets, historical styles, not that much. I mean, if, if, I, if I train in maybe Capoferro's rapier, if suddenly I'm trying to do Destreza and Spanish rapier, that is apples and oranges to my technique. As an actor or a performer, I have a finite amount of time to train. My, yes. my, my primary job, of course, is to learn the craft of acting, which takes a lifetime or more. And I will only be in shows that have violence a certain amount of the time and only be the character doing the violence even a smaller amount of the time. If I train in Fiori's longsword, is that going to help me in, you know, in a more German style? How would you suggest that I go about training as an actor to be prepared to do historical styles without devoting my whole life to that craft, which is a sideline from my main job? I still think that the best way for performers to train is with stage combat instructors. Instructors, uh, There they will learn from people who do their craft, how to learn and be safe, and in a language they understand that has direct impact on their chosen field. Now, if a performer wants to augment that training with historical fencing, that's great. Find a club, get involved, but don't, be, don't fall into the trap of thinking that this is going to be directly translatable, uh, directly translatable translatable skill right away. You know, anytime training with the sword will only help you to be more confident and more convincing when you are handed a piece of choreography. But it's also important to realize that you're going to get hit and you're going to get hit hard. And this isn't like a, a lot of these uh, fitness boxing gyms where it's basically Zumba with oven mitts. And that change in mentality between a partner aspect of a performance and the opponent aspect of a martial art can be challenging to navigate in the beginning. So that being said, I really feel that the onus of getting more historical combat into productions lies primarily with the instructors and teachers and choreographers to educate themselves first, explore these avenues, and then bring all of their previous expertise and apply it to this style. And this way they can use this new dialect to teach their students so they can have another tool in their box. You know, however convincing people to change or to look at something they don't feel that they need can be a very rigorous challenge. But at the end of the day, these performers are basically learning lines, but in a physical way. So these instructors and these choreographers have to figure out how to do that in a modular system that they are familiar with, with the, the way that things have previously been done but with this different style of historical fencing. So that, that's really on them. I think the best way is, is to get the instructors to educate themselves first, and then they can pass on that knowledge to the performers. Right, right. And you mentioned jargon. Do you think that we should come up with different terms? And is there a danger in doing that, that everything goes back to the standard vanilla system. 
So where's the where's the uh, the balance there between jar, specialized jargon and an approachable system? Well, unfortunately, it all comes back to time. And in film and television, it's it's precious um, and and very little. When you're on a film set or a television set, every single minute you are absolutely hemorrhaging money, and there's a lot of pressure. So uh, a performer are is lucky to get a couple hours training in before the cameras start to roll. So by necessity, in that industry, you've got to find a way to make a, a modular system of whatever you're trying to do. I don't think that it has to become this this vanilla, generic, featureless thing, but you have to completely understand what the craft is and then how to teach that to others. And that's where it can be difficult because not everybody learns the same way. Trying to bend people's brains around the, the, the terminology in a pinch with a time constraint is a recipe for disaster. It's just not going to happen unless they're already familiar with that. And having somebody already familiar with that doesn't mean that the rest of the people on the set are going to be familiar with that. So even if your leading sword talent is an absolute expert in Fiore, their scene partner or the rest of the stunt crew may or may not be versed in that language. So you have to be able to adapt and change and that's that that falls on both sides of going back to this um, the HEMA mentality versus stage mentality of being able to be flexible and adjust what you do to fit the needs of the story. That's an interesting point. When it comes to stage, we can mostly uh, do historical techniques as they are with some safety modifications. But you do more film. Uh, how do historical techniques sometimes need to change to fit the needs of the camera? You know, filming action is a very specific art form. And just because a DP or a director of photography knows how to shoot talking heads does not mean they know how to shoot action. So the answer to that question really comes down to how is it playing on screen? The, the problem we're dealing with here is that we're taking three-dimensional movements and flattening them down to two-dimensional images. So when we're watching two fencers live and, and say we've got a, an attacker on the left and the defender's on the right, and the attacker lunges forward with a thrust to the defender's chest, and the defender responds with just a simple displacement in, you know, flu, post breve, outside ward, whatever your religion of choice is. <laughs> um, but the defender, being a good fencer, knows that they don't need some big, huge, sweeping wide parry, so they just efficiently move their ward and the offending thrust slides by. When we see this live, it's fairly easy to see what has happen but when we flatten this down to two uh, to a two-dimensional format it looks like the blade went right through the defender's chest it's because of the, the layering of the images first we see the defender and then the blade behind them about a foot of which is behind the defender so for all we can tell that thrust went right in so the simple solution for this is for the the attacker to initiate their thrust at a greater range so that when they perform their parry we see the space between the end of the blade and the body. Now, if we want to do this more historically accurate, the, the challenge then shifts to the director and the DP and the cinematographer to find new ways to show the fight 
where the particulars of historical fencing are displayed in artistic, compelling, and entertaining fashion. So that adds another problem to our dilemma of not only educating our choreographers and our performers how to be familiar with historical fencing, but now the DP and the cameramen, uh, the camera operators, they have to understand the nuances of what's going on as well so that they can capture those images in the in the correct way if you take up a, a certain angle and let's just say you're doing simple like throwing a punch if you're shooting that from a low angle maybe you're kind of skewed and you throw that punch right on target from that particular angle it might look like the person's receiving the blow on the shoulder so what you have to do is that you have to change the angle of your punch Maybe it's higher and to the left, so it's a ridiculous target, but you have to be able to adjust that so it plays right on camera. In addition, the recipient has to respond like they're still receiving the punch square in the middle of the face, even though they see the blow coming in high and off to the left. So you have to be able to adjust exactly how you are throwing blows and receiving and responding to them so that it plays correctly on the screen through a camera. So it's an insanely difficult process. And to think that this is just a simple question of getting HEMA people to choreograph fights and perform them is, is just not the answer. It's, it's the tip of the iceberg. Right. So it's a lot of work to go to to change the culture of film and, and theater. Do you think it's worth it? I mean, should stage combat people change what has been the standard for decades, if not, if not 100 years, should we change what we're doing? I think if you have a passion for it, you should try. Every great revolution in the art starts out with somebody saying, no, you can't do that, or no, that's not artistic, or no, that can't be done. And somebody's saying, oh, yeah, hold my beer. Here it comes. All right? Right. But a lot of work has to take place to get there so that what we're offering is entertaining and convincing and fits the bill of what the audience needs or what the audience wants. It requires a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of sacrifice. I've, I've said for a long time that I really think that if we're really going to do this right, if we really are going to put out even just a single product that has really spectacular historical fencing, that is everything we hope it would be, got to go back to this team mentality. And you see this a lot with, um, with uh, fight movies coming out of the Orient. They have entire teams of people that are dedicated to putting out these kinds of movies. So all the stunt people are on the same team. All the lead performers are on the same team. The, the directors, the DPs, the camera operators, and even the editors all understand what they're there to do, and that is to put out these great kung fu movies or these great fight movies. They understand what's going on. It's this complete marriage of purpose. And that really doesn't exist in the Western cinema as we have it right now. So I really think in order to get this done uh, and done right, it would take kind of this camp mentality of an entire group of people who are really, really good at what they do coming together and saying, this is what we're doing. Let's all get on the same page. Let's all get educated the way we need to, and then we'll put this together. And that's a great call to action, I think, to uh, to wind up this interview on. So if you're out there, you're listening, and you're involved in filmmaking or theater or HEMA or stage combat, 
And uh, if you're not involved in at least one of those, I'm not sure why you've stumbled onto this podcast, but sure, we need to come together as a community. We need to support each other. If we want to see change and improvement in our art, it has to start with each of us. It has to be, I think, a grassroots movement that eventually will trickle up. I don't know if things trickle up, but that will grow up until it hits the highest levels of, of people who can influence these things. Well, Alan, thanks so much. I appreciate the time. I, I'm grateful to, to uh, offer my thoughts here. And, and I know I'm not alone in this. I'm just one voice in the crowd, but uh, it's, it's fun to talk about. And uh, I think the more we talk about it and the more we learn to respect one another, the easier the process is going to be. I couldn't agree more. If you're looking to contact Alan, you can check out his website at realswords.wixsite.com slash realswords. That's realsword, R-E-E-L-S-W-O-R-D-S dot W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash realswords. Well, that does it for this episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, and if you don't, I'm not sure why you've listened this far, please let others know about it. Share it on social media, do a text broadcast about it, or even, horror of horrors, tell your friends through honest-to-God human interaction. This podcast is entirely supported by the generosity of you, the listener. You'll notice there's no ads or corporate sponsorship. If you'd like to help out to keep this project going week after week, head on over to patreon.com slash violencedesignlab and enter your pledge. Each level of support has its rewards, including transcripts of the regular episodes and full uncut video footage of my interview episodes. Thanks in advance for your support. Until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com. 